Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The NBA championship is one series away from being decided in the NBA finals. We are in the conference finalses in the West and in the East. Four teams remain to win the NBA finals. In Major League Baseball, both New York teams are still the best teams in baseball, which I don't think has been said for a very long time. In the NCAA, we got a little wrestling action. A little NWO, a little WCW, a little WWF. Little old school promo callouts, fisticuffs, ring the bell between none other than SEC stars Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. I don't know if you've been privy to this, Al, but it shook up the college football and college sports in general world when on Wednesday night, Nick Saban had a benefit, just started naming names for name, image, and likeness and what's been going on in the transfer portal, called out Texas A&M for paying all their guys called out Jacksonville State and Deion Sanders for what they did with supposedly offering a million dollars to one of their players, what Miami has done over at their program, just starts throwing people under the bus for a five- and six-minute rant about how they're doing things wrong, we do things right, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Jimbo immediately called for a press conference the next morning at 10 Eastern time and said, nay, nay, I will not go down into that dark night and just starts eviscerating this dude, calling him names, It's a shame we have to do this. Think about the children. I've never done anything wrong. I knew when I was growing up, you never were a liar or a cheater. An old man would hit you upside the head. Maybe somebody should have hit him in the head, referring to Nick Saban. Some man who used to be on his coaching staff, Al. Calling him out. Ripping him to shreds. Some people think they're God. My goodness. Think of the kids. It's a shame we have to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And then Nick Saban hops on ESPN radio on Sirius XM to offer somewhat of an apology and further expand on what he meant, how he feels about name, image, and likeness. He's a fan of it. It just has to be regulated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We got juice on May 19th, Al, in college football. SEC media days in July can't get here soon enough. And October 8th or whatever the date is when both those teams play can't get here soon enough either. I love it. It's like old school wrestling, seeing Stone Cold and the Rock go after each other. I'm interested in what the old report thought of these also old men getting behind microphones and expanding their wits and wisdom on how they feel about each other and the state of college football. And their mammoth programs that put over 100000 in the building and generate massive dollars every season. Look, a Pandora's box has been opened to catastrophic proportions. It's plain and simple. You know, players getting you know, $400,000 to go play basketball in Miami. You know, 
a million to go play college football at USC. It's, I don't think anything remotely resembling what was anticipated uh, when they decided that name, image, and likeness was going to be allowed, okay, not punishable, call it what you like, because it's not the schools, it's anybody else who is making these offers, who is paying these sums, it's boosters. Who used to be, you know, the guys in the cowboy hats slipping a thousand dollar bills, well, hundred dollar bills, then you know, five hundred thousand, now ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million. Uh, it's the old boy network, the old girl network, the new guy network, the new girl network, whatever the case may be. Be true to my school, and I'll take care of you. And the kids now are getting massive amounts of money to do this, and it's a nightmare. I think it should be regulated. They absolutely have to do something. I mean, I've got ideas on what I would like to see because it, it's turning haves and haves nots all, all over again, but it's doing it within the teams, not within just within the schools where you're going to have the super duper stars getting these, well, at least they're paid like they're super duper stars. Whether they turn out to be, who knows? They're paid a fortune just to go there. So when does the well dry up? Do you keep getting paid or, you know, how does that work? Is there a million to go here while I'm here? Now, now what do I get? Do I get another million to stay? The transfer portal is a joke. Now kids can just up and leave whenever they want, which I think is, oh, well, you know, coaches can too. I understand coaches can too. I think that should be regulated also. Now, I think there's a lot of things that should be done to stem what has turned into be, you know, a snowball going downhill and turning into an avalanche. I can't stand the fact that kids can just hop from school to school and make a fortune doing it. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right for their teammates. I don't think it's right for their schools. I don't think it's right for the programs, the kids who are behind them, the kids who decide to go there, and then all of a sudden look who came. I think it creates a train wreck and it makes the job impossible. And don't get me wrong. I'm not feeling sorry for coaches. They make a fortune at what they do. And I don't like them just simply breaking contracts and walking. I would like to see stricter compliance with contracts. I would like to see Coaches follow in the footsteps of what happened used to be the case for players. If I'm a coach and I want to break a contract and go somewhere else, I have to sit out of here. Plain and simple. I just I just don't get to waltz and leave my players high and dry and leave my school high and dry for higher ground because I feel like it. Somebody's got an opening. You made a commitment to that school. You made a commitment to those players. You're getting paid. You want to leave? Got to sit out of here. And you get paid. And you get paid. There'll be, there'll be some remuneration. You don't work for nothing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you don't sit out for nothing. But the point is, you don't get penalized. You don't involuntary servitude. But the point is, you don't just get to break contracts. That's what a contract is all about. And as for the kids, I would like to see it regulated to the extent, quite, quite frankly, where there's caps. I don't want to see a kid getting $5 million to go to a school. I think there should, I think there should be, how should we call them? Uh, booster caps. Name, image, and likeness caps. I don't want some guy getting $4 million just to go there and another cat's making 4 bucks. So I've always thought what this could create is conflict within the locker room. Because you got the haves and you got the have-nots. And I think that needs to be regulated. And I don't think kids should call me old school. Absolutely. Call me the old man in the room. Proud of it. 
call me the old report in damn straight you will. I don't think you should be able to hop from school to schools. I think you should get one bite at the apple. And after that, you got to go back to sitting out here. You get one free transfer with no redshirt season. You don't like where you started, you get to move on. Absolutely, positively. And you don't have to sit out here. After that, you just don't get to be, you're bouncing all over the place like a red rubber ball. You want to transfer again, got to sit out here. One free one. One free one. Some of these restrictions would cut down on this train wreck that we're going through right now with college sports. When you really can't tell who's where, what, you're playing the who, what, where again. Where's our chance? Look him up. He was the host of the show. I think if the name, image, and likeness is regulated, I think if coaches moving about freely when they're able to break contracts is properly regulated, I think players transferring is properly regulated. I think you could make it fair to all parties and not have it be a catch as catch can. Your thoughts? Well, first, again, I can't say how much I love the back and forth between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Nick now being 70, he's getting to that age where you can just say whatever the hell you want, right? Like once you become old enough, your father might have did this. My father's getting close to that age. Grandparents do this for folks. You get to a certain age, you just start saying whatever the hell you want. Good, bad, ugly, racist. Nick's been doing that for a while. You, know? you just spew whatever you want, and your grandchildren have to be like, Grandpa, you can't say that anymore. What is he going to say? I don't care. What are they going to do to me? I served in the war. You're going to tell me what I can and can't say. Get lost. It's not just the age. The success factor with the age pretty much puts him in a position of, you know, I, I'm, I'm the king of the mountain. Right. And deservedly and, so. And as, as long as I don't pull a, you know, Al Campanis, I'm fine. And what he says, like many coaches. Look, look, look him up to him. There's, there's more research. What he says is almost always calculated. He knows who's listening. He knows there's cameras around. This didn't catch him by surprise that somebody had their phone out and they were recording this at this event. He knows who's watching. He knows who's listening. Nick he knows Saban doesn't say anything by mistake. Correct. Even his apology today, very calculated. He happened to go on ESPNU with Jacob Hester, former player. So th- they asked him the right questions. At, at, it's at, not at, like at, they went after LSU, him. At LSU, which I'm coached. Right. It's good people knew that too. Google that. He was the coach at LSU before Alabama. So it's not like they were beating him with questionings, but they asked the right questions and they gave him time to kind of answer the way he wanted and what he wanted to get out there was an apology, but here's still my thoughts. I love it for college football. I find it interesting that Nick Saban feels comfortable enough to where he can say something like that and I guess not worry about people coming out of the woodwork with receipts saying, hey, coach, what about when you offered me $50,000 to play at LSU? What about when you offered me this car to play at Alabama? I'm assuming he, he's good. And the loudest voice we're going to hear from is Jimbo Fisher as a former assistant, but he didn't provide any receipts. He just vaguely said, look into his past, see what he's about. Okay, we will. But he didn't come with, here's a list of things that Nick Saban's done wrong and should get in trouble for. But, I mean, it's great for college football in this time where you're just kind of digging for stuff. Previously, the stories were Alabama's going to play Texas, and it's going to be at 11 Central, high noon, most likely, on Fox. And everybody's commentary was, oh my god, it's going to be so hot. The poor kids. So hot. Texas wants to switch to game time. It's going to be too hot in Texas. 
you know, it's going to be hot in Texas no matter if you play the game at noon, three, six, not, what are you going to play it at 3 a.m. before the sun rises? Maybe you could get into the 80s. Even in September, it's hot in Texas, folks. So we're just dying for stories. And this is now going to carry us well into getting into those meetings and whatnot in the summertime as something to look forward to this little riff. We'll see if other coaches start coming along the woodwork. But now we we got a little action, a little WWE, WCW, WWF action. Now, name, image, and likeness, the thing that I find interesting about it is we, as a collective in college sports, we're just so naive to what we thought this would be. My father used to say, when I'd get in trouble, give you an inch and you take a yard, which I never understood because I really never got into that much trouble. But the saying goes, give you an inch, you take a yard. And that's what we as Americans in this country love to do with absolutely everything. How far can we push the envelope before we'll get caught, before you take away the wealth that I'm making from this? How much can I push this for my well-being? And that's what NIL quickly turned into. We thought it was going to be your star quarterback's going to go down to the local car wash and do a commercial for the owner because he's got a car wash at the corner. He's got a thrift shop down the street. He's got a car shop down the other wait, end of the block. Wait a second. Wait, wait a second. When you say we thought, don't put me in that category. That's actually what you thought. I think the star of the I team's going to get the star of the team's going to get free pizza on Friday night. Not me personally. That's what you thought it was about. I think a lot of people, we the collective, a lot of college football people, I think we're looking at this with well, rose-colored glasses. That just shows me how dumb these people are. What did you? What the fuck did you think was going to happen? <laughs> in a world where money talks, and you know what walks where abuse has been going on for years under the table at State U since the 20s and the 30s and the abuse, you know, and and, and, and get the big lunkhead through school when he can't put two sentences together and the boosters, you know, the summer jobs are keeping the crocodiles out of the swimming pool and off the basketball court. I mean, come on. Now it's all legal. So... Boost away. Yeah. Didn't take time. Didn't take any time. These guys were going to throw around. Come come work at the golf club. You know, come work at the country club. You'll be a high priced caddy. How about here's a million. Come to school. What what did you, what did these people think was going to happen? You know, wear wear a t-shirt. That's got my, uh, you know, my coffee shop on it. And you get free coffee for the school? You know, free cream bowl for the team? Yeah, put it on your Instagram. Tag us. Put the hashtag. Free coffee for life. You got I mean, you got to be fucking kidding me. They've been throwing massive amounts of money around for years. Some of it totally illegally obtained funds. See Devin Shapiro. Now when you can do it, how much cash do you think these guys are tossing around? Anybody who thought that? I'm sorry. You're a buffoon. There's a lot of folks like that, Al. A lot of folks like that now, well, clutching their pearls. There's a lot of stupid college football fans. Of course. It's clutching their pearls now. I can't believe this happened. Who'd have thought? Well, I mean, they do They do go to games with tied boxes, all right, and, and rolls of toilet paper. I would agree with you about the transferring thing as well. Just as someone that 
I enjoy rooting for my teams and you'd like to root for the same couple players for two, three years if you can, or have them stick around. I know the one and done era in college basketball is here, obviously. And if you like good teams, that's going to happen year after year. I like the idea of you get one shot to transfer, no holds barred, wherever you want to go, you could play right away. But after that, and I think if there's no unforeseen circumstances, like I think if you transfer to a school and then the next season, your coach that you maybe went there to play for leaves, he does the usual, I'm going for more money to wherever. I think that's when you should be able to leave. If your coach leaves, you should be able to leave. If not, I don't, I don't hate the sitting a year out. I don't hate there being some sort of penalty for leaving what you committed to behind. I mean, we didn't play at a Division One high level of, of sports to be sitting in the locker rooms with these dudes, but we played sports. And you know what it would be like for your teammate, one of the best guys on the team. You know, they're always talking big in the huddles. I'm here for you guys. Let's do this. We, 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 et cetera. They say all the right things. They do all the right things. And then one day you get a text. Hey, man, I'm out. So-and-so's giving me a little bit more money. I got, I'm, I'm going there. I mean, one party is going to understand it especially if they need the money. But another party's like, fuck you, man. What happened to all for one, one for all? We were all on this team together. Where are you going? And for what? Some of these dudes transfer schools and they go other places and you just think, why? What are they giving you that's better than what you're leaving behind? First of all, in terms of your shot at the money, you can take your one transfer and go right away for the money. There's your, that's your money. That's your money grab right there. If you don't, have to sit out a year and you get paid a big buck to go, you can go. But after that, got to sit out a year. Get one freebie. Then the rest is back to the old redshirt rules. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I don't know who the wizards in the room are going to be to try to piece this together and, and rein it in. I don't know how that's possible after it's been let loose as it is, and we've seen what it's capable of. And we know how the NCAA handles things poorly throughout its history. Mark Emmert, thankfully, is going to be out of here by the summertime next year. So whoever takes over the commissionership job is going to have some of this on top of their head. We don't even know if the Power Five is going to stick with the NCAA. One day they might say, okay, goodbye. We'll be okay on our own. You figure out everything else. We're good. We'll figure out football over here in the college football playoff. We'll pay our way for that. There's still so much left to be answered. And sometimes when you just take a quick step back, isn't it amazing we went from no college sports in the pandemic just championships ripped from teams, playoff appearances gone, being at the tournaments. Okay, we got to cancel the seasons. Some sports couldn't come back. There was no redos. They lost their seasons. Some guys couldn't come back for their extra year of COVID. A lot of guys got to do that. The Ivy League schools didn't. All those seasons are gone. They missed out on their senior year. Sorry, too bad. Have a good one. Your career is over with. We go from all those heartbreaking stories to flipping the switch to not only name, image, and likeness being thrown into the world, the Supreme Court saying, hey, NCAA, you can't do anything about this. Then the transfer portal opens up, a free-for-all of that. So much has happened to college sports within a year and a half. It's crazy just to think about. And now football 
conferences in the power five are doing away with divisions. You don't have to have those to decide who gets to be your representative for the championship of the league. It's crazy in college sports. This is happening like every day there's something else. It's bananas that all this is going on. And it makes sense in a way that nobody knows what the fuck to do because this has just been thrown onto their desks. Just piles and piles of papers. All right, here's where we're at in college sports. It's been a wild couple of years, Al. You got to hold on. Potential, it has the potential to be the ruination of college sports as we know it. I know that sounds, again, like the old codger, the old man who just you know, can't have anything change. It's got to be old school. You, know, you get your scholarship, and that's enough. I, I have no problem with name, image, and likeness. I have no problem with a notion of some remuneration for what you bring to the school, what you bring to the sport, that you should get a chunk of that. But I also believe until you're a quote-unquote professional playing the sport as your job, that while you're in school, it should be regulated. Hey, look, real-life professional sports have something called salary caps. I see no reason... Why? Because we're not talking about restraining their right to make a living because this isn't their job. They're playing football or basketball. I'm leaving baseball out because it hasn't gone hog wild in the NIL circuit yet. But the point is, why not regulate it? Why not have it be reasonable where it works for everyone? The player slash student athlete can get a large amount of money or some consideration exchange down the level of the players as we go from top to bottom and there's a pecking order, but it's not filthy dirty. It's not, you know, one booster looking to top the next. Right. Where it's all about the money. If you cap it, there could be choices where, you know, five or six different universities are offering, I should say, boosters are offering the same thing. And you can actually make an educated decision on which may be the best place to go. And it's not just about the money. And as I said, you get one shot, you get one freebie, you get one room to move, one get out of jail free card, so to speak. You got to sit out a year and you can still do it. You still get your NIL money. You can still get whatever remuneration you're going to get for leaving. But the point is you got to wait a year to do it. The the board that you would have up in a policeman's office when they're trying to find a criminal and they have the pegboard up there with all the different strings attached going to each guy and each suspect and where they were and how things are going. And you just end up with this mess. I mean, the tentacles of this going even into recruiting where now you're not just recruiting the kid and going to mom and dad's house for dinner. Now mom and dad are asking you how much and you got to know, not only are you presenting a little PowerPoint of here's my team's values, here's what I'm going to bring to your athlete for the next level and how they can be successful in college sports. Now it's this next slide will tell you how much we're going to pay said athlete, when we're going to pay them. Well, well we're, we're not going to, but, te- you know. Someone but, will. Uh, we got to know but, who. But the, guy in the co- but the guy in the cowboy hat parked up front. You got to know. Frank's got to give you his own PowerPoint presentation and spreadsheet. All right, here's how much money I got to piss away because these dudes are paying these guys before they even play. 
They're not taking a snap yet. They're not shooting a shot. They're getting a million dollars. Well, what happens when you go out and shit the bed or have a bad freshman season? You're not getting your money back. There's no compensation. That's my point. It's just to show up. It's just for luck. It's just to show up. What about to stay? Are we going to get contracts? Like, is that the next move? We got to get incentives for these kids? Is is that what's next? Like, hey, win 10 games. You get a million to go there. And you play pretty well. Well, now there's offers to transfer. So I'm I'm getting offers to go... What are you going to pay me to stay? Right. That's what it is. What are you paying me to stay? What? I mean, we look at the success. Me we have. Nope. Yeah, but they're offering me, they're offering me two to leave. You, 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 they didn't tell you about you that. Got, you, oh, my bad. You got to wet, you got to wet my beak. If you want me to stay, <laughs> this isn't a one-time deal. Who said it was a one-time deal? Regulation? Where? I don't see any. Pandora's box, baby. Here's my list. Win 10 games, get this. 11, this. 12, this. We make the championship game in the conference, we'll give you this. We go to the CFP, you'll get this. You're in the running for the Heisman, here's more. Let's just get a nice bullet point list you can fill out. Just sounds, just sounds like an incentive contract God. to me. It's going to get crazy. It's going to get a lot more wild than it is now before it gets better. Has to be, has to be regulated. Has to be regulated with fairness in mind. I will be more than happy. I used to say volunteer my services, check that at the door. I will be more than happy to provide my services, expertise, and my absolute modicum of fairness. Because as you know, there is no more a fair-minded sports fan on the planet than AWP. And I would have the best interests of the players, the universities, and the particular sport or college sports as a whole in mind. Because that's the way I roll. Spoken like a true lawyer, folks. To the NBA playoffs, two series remain. The Golden State Warriors, the Dallas Mavericks in the West, over in the East, the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. As we record this this evening, the Boston and Miami series will be tied 1-1, heading to Boston. The West, at this moment, 1-0 Golden State in convincing fashion. The Warriors were able to beat Luka and the Mavs, the dismay of one Nick Wright. Among the surprises, perhaps, for the teams that ended up making it here, I would say on the top of our list is probably... I don't even want to say probably. Number one is the Phoenix Suns for being ahead of the Mavs and blowing that in seven games. The Heat is somewhat surprising, beating the 76ers 4-2 in that series. You thought maybe it would get to seven games if that were going to be the case. I think Boston beating the Bucks in the way that they did, also surprising. Although Chris Middleton being out, we had mentioned, would be potentially troublesome for the Bucks, But when they were winning the games, you were thinking, "Ah, they don't need that guy. They're fine. And Golden State, I think the easiest one to pick if you had to for beating the Grizzlies. But the Suns losing in seven games after the regular season they had, after how they started the series, taking a lead, you thought they were going to cruise along. They were blown out in those wins. And then all of a sudden, they just forgot how to play basketball. And that game seven, we texted about it. I don't know your memory a lot better than mine, no question about it, but I don't know if there's a worse game seven in basketball history than what we well, saw forget, in that game. Forget about worst. 
as I texted you, uh, in my in my memory, it was the most shocking game seven of my lifetime. Not just the fact that obviously the winner, but how they won and how the loser lost, and the fact that it was you know in the loser's building. It just it was. Literally, words can't describe it. Let's go back to the beginning. I could not have been more wrong. I thought the Suns would waltz through the West. Waltz. Golden State notwithstanding. I thought the Suns were the total package. I thought they had clearly the best team in the league all year and were clearly the best team in the West. And then I thought they had all the pieces. Everything was in perfect shape. Chris Paul was healthy. Uh, Booker looked like a first-team all-NBA and superstar uh, to be. Mikel Bridges, a tremendous defensive player, improving offensively. Uh, and the big guy you know, playing for a contract. Uh, my problem with the big guy has always been I thought he was a little soft. hate to use the term lazy, but I watched the way Giannis pushed him around last year and ran him into the ground where he was tired down the stretch because uh, I don't think he's as good a shape as he could be in. And that worried me a little bit, but not so much in the West because I thought he would be a dominant factor inside in the West. He never really was, even in the series that they won against uh, you know, a, a, a team that you know was awful for the first half of the year in New Orleans, but found their game, made the trade for McCallum, uh, their star to be in Brandon Ingram has arrived, and they started to come together with a lot of depth, and they gave Phoenix much more trouble than I thought they would. But still, I thought Phoenix was in good shape, up to nothing. I think they had won 10 straight against Dallas. They owned Dallas. Then they go to Dallas, they get smoked twice, they come back home, they win big. They go to Dallas for game six, and you feel, okay, this is where you put your foot down and you finish it up now. They lose again in Dallas handily, and then go home and you feel, all right, this is the best team, best team all year. Nice job by Dallas. Luca's a star. He absolutely positively stepped it up another notch. He's Nick Wright's super-duper star, going to be an all-time top 10 player according to Nick, an all-time top five player. But be that as it may, now it comes to an end because, you know, the point God called by many, called by me the point Claude, and that's what he was. That's what he turned into. From the, from the second he turned 37 years old, he couldn't play that. And they lose four to five, and they literally are tied with Luca at the half. 37 for Luca, 37 for the Suns. And it was, again, I I did not know, could not fathom what I was watching. They looked just dead to the world. I was saying they weren't ready to play, but Mr. Nice Guy, the coach of the year, and everybody was Monty Williams, got his pants coached off by Jason Kidd, who made adjustments defensively to shut Chris Paul down to make it, make it harder for Booker to get off his shots, made him more uncomfortable. And DeAndre Eaton 
whether it's because he just got small or they had trouble getting into their offense. Uh, and Chris Paul worn down. I don't know. All the above. But DeAndre Eaton was a complete no-show. It was a non-factor. And Luca was the show, along with contributors out of nowhere. Spencer Diddy got his swag back, and in Game Seven, comes off the bench and is knocking down threes with his eye closed, eyes closed. You know, and my favorite, best footwork in the NBA, little Jalen Brunson dancing in the paint, pulling up, pivoting, twist and shout, pump fakes, ball fakes, finds his way inside, does a little spin around it, never walks. Watch those feet. Looks like he's moving them both. Never moves the pivot foot. Pivots, never travels. Spotting up from three, going to make himself a ton of money in the offseason. It's going to be a free agent. And they just embarrassed the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul to a degree which I don't think I've ever seen an NBA team get embarrassed like that. In their own building, in a game seven, as the odds-on favorite and the best team in the league all year, the one seed. Losing four out of five to the Dallas Mavericks, a team that they had, I believe, I believe it was 10 straight uh, times they had beaten them. Uh, it, it's just a massive failure. And it's another failure for Chris Paul. Last year, it was like, oh, you know, well, he finally made it to the finals. You know, feel bad for him. Doesn't even make it to the conference finals this year with the best team in the league. You know, well, if he wins an NBA Tony, you got to start talking with the same breath with Isaiah. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. I won't. And I never will. If we about Magic Johnson or Oscar Roberts, if you want to call Oscar a combo card, that's fine. But, you know, it's Magic 1, Isaiah 2, and then you can fight over the rest of the way. I would have, you know, if you want to put Oscar in there, okay. If you want to put Oscar in there and say modern day and pure point guards, I'm going to go John Stockton. I'm going to go Steve Nash. You know, before I go, Chris Paul. And I just, uh, you know, he, he loses more big series. You know, if you're going to be in a lot of them, you're going to lose some of them and you're going to win a lot of them. He doesn't win enough of them. It's okay to lose some, but win some. Or lose some and go out fighting. You know, put up a, 15 assists, 20 point night. Do something in the box score, at least, where people look and say, well, at least he did his job that night. They just, better team won. What can you do? It happens in basketball. We know that. But after he thir- turned 37, it's like the Monstars took all his powers. 37 was kryptonite. Couldn't play, figure out how to play basketball. What happened? Couldn't score, couldn't pass. And then God bless the Suns. They have them rolling around out there in the fourth quarter when they're getting destroyed. Maybe so the fans can get a couple last game seven pictures. We come to find out, of course, well, his quad, his left quad might have been hurting a little bit. Oh, okay. Of course, there had to be something. But it wasn't wasn't a big story. Just it was there. But what were you doing out there in the fourth quarter if your quad was was banged up? Sit down. It's always something. Just an inexcusable loss, that, that series. The game, I mean, at least the game, you could say it was inexcusable. You can't lose like that. You just can't. Simple as that. 
Now, Luca played at a superstar level. It was a lot of fun to watch, especially after Devin Booker was a little cocky in the first couple of games, of course, flopping on the floor and saying, oh, it's a Luca special, stealing the ball from him. When Luca says, walk in the locker room, eh, doing a lot of chatter when you're up. It's like the old Jordan quote in the last dance. People love trash talking when they're up. Real man can do it when it's zero, zero or when they're down. That's when you do your trash talking. And I like book, but he got caught with his pants down there. Got caught chirping. Be quiet. Be quiet. You want to talk after you win the series. But is there any real reason to talk here? Last time I checked, you're the one seed. Why do you need to talk? And this is why Lakers fans a couple of years ago when the Kobe comparisons were getting thrown out. Oh, Devin Booker is the closest thing we got. First of all, there's, there is no closest thing. There is not, there is nobody's, there is no close thing in terms of the style of his game and the footwork, the ability to square up as a shooter and a scorer. You can see similarities, but the athleticism isn't close. Think about that for a second. He can't do anything remotely resembling the things Kobe could do as simply an athlete. He doesn't play above the rim nearly as much as Kobe did. Doesn't dunk in traffic. Uh, simply doesn't have the athleticism. He's a brilliant player in terms of his skill set and a hard worker. But, you know, again, we love to go goofy early. We love to call him, the, you know, as everybody's going to be one of the greatest. Everybody's going to break into the top. Everybody's the next Jordan. This one's the next Kobe. This one's the next LeBron. Look, th- th- there's a handful of guys. When you talk about being one of the greatest of all time, that's not a big group. And we talk about this, and I harp on it all the time. To be one of the greatest of all time, you've got to be not good a lot. You've got to be good almost all the time. You've got to be great a lot. It's hard to be great for one game Yeah, in the postseason. But when you're great for every game in a postseason, Jerry West 1968 finals, look it up. Only player ever to win the finals MVP on a losing team. Look at the numbers, 53, 48. That's in the finals against the Celtics. That's greatness. Not, you know, 40 and 10, 31 and 13. Consistency, continued brilliance. That's the kind of play that gets you into the upper echelon, not just of the current stature, not just the here and now, but of the all time. That's why it takes time to be labeled all time versus this time. To be all time, you have to be great a lot of the time for a long time. You want to talk that shit? You better back it up, man. <laughs> you better back it up because people will be waiting for you. The I Pat was, Beverly's uh, of the world will be screaming at Stephen A. It's Smith. Not just, about it's, not just book. It's, it's the entire team. As I said, I thought they would cruise to the NBA finals. And they didn't even make it to the conference finals. 
I was absolutely stunned. Forget about how forget about how it happened. Just the fact that it happened at all left me dumbfounded. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. In the East, with the defending champs, Boston was the higher seed. Boston was healthier. They were clearly missing Middleton. But when you thought they, you know, when they stole game three, with a great comeback, uh, excuse me, game five, with a great comeback, uh, and Holiday literally stole the game. You figured, all right, here we go again. Bucks find a way. This is how they became champs. Now they get to go home. Yeah, banged up. Yeah, no Middleton. But they get to go home up 3-2. They're the champs. They got the best player. They should put them away. And so what happened. Boston superstar. Stepped up to superstar status after they got a big lead and were floundering. He carried him down the stretch. Again, the Bucks not running him off the three. The Bucks did not have enough ways to score. And you actually saw Giannis run out of gas. I mean, Giannis was pushing as hard as he could go, giving as much as he could. This wasn't, you know, for us old farts, this was not Bird and Dominique. It wasn't that shot for shot scenario that we saw in a game seven between you know, the Hawks and the great Dominique Wilkins and Larry Legend of the Celtics in a game seven when they went back and forth and back and forth and shot for shot. Brilliant performances by both before the Celtics finally got the Duke. But these guys were going at it. And, you know, they both had, what, 46 and 45, 46 and 44, 45 and 44, whatever. Uh, and Tatum... He simply put him on on, there, on his on his back, and he became an incredible shot maker, and saved their bacon when their season was on the verge of ending. Giannis kept taking it to the rack and trying to do everything he possibly could, but I thought he clearly got worn down by Boston's depth and the fact that he wasn't getting a lot of help. You know, other than Holiday, it just wasn't coming from any other places. There wasn't a whole lot from. Uh, you know, the backcourt was just, other than Holiday, they got nothing out of George Hill who shouldn't have been playing. They got nothing out of your boy from Duke, who I liked for them this year. I thought he did a good job and was good in the Chicago series. But in this series, he was a zero. He couldn't make a shot. And they didn't get a whole lot off the bench. And he continued to go with George Hill. I thought it was a huge mistake. Uh, Lopez came a little bit here and there. Portis came a little bit here and there. Same kind of thing. But Boston just had too much firepower. Too much firepower, and especially from three. As I said before we started the show when we were speaking, Boston lives by the three, they die by the three. And when they start rolling on the three, it seems like everybody hits them. Seems like it's infectious. Seems like it's the virus. One guy hits one or two, and then boom, so does the next guy, and the next guy, and the next guy. And the next thing you know, they've knocked down like 13 or 15 from three. And you're dead. It's crazy to kind of see the Celtics morphing into that team that everybody hoped they'd be. It seems like the narrative was to try to break them up and smart can't play with this guy and Jalen Brown can't play with Tatum and there's riffs here and they're never going to be able to gel. And well, look at that. 
How's that working out for everybody? Seems like they're gelling pretty well now. Thank God the Lakers didn't take Jason Tatum as their second pick years back. Would have been a sin to have him on the Lakers team. Jeez. Lonzo Ball's been a great addition to the squad. Fantastic. Especially, at least he didn't go to the rival team and have so much success with them so early in his career. It's not like we've had to watch that season after season. Thank goodness. It was unfortunate for Milwaukee that, as you said, they just ran out of gas. They didn't have a Chris Middleton to help carry them in just one other game. That's all you would have needed. One other game to right the ship, and it all just came crashing down in game seven. It was an ugly-looking loss, of course. It doesn't really tell the series, but it happens. And same for the Sixers. You don't have Joel Embiid for a couple games. He's not healthy when he comes back. His thumb's banged up. He can't see. He's got a mask on. Your boy, James Harden, won't shoot. Not your boy. People's boys. We're not boys with James Harden on the show. Won't shoot in the second half. Won't make a basket in the second half of elimination games. You could just walk into a basket in the NBA by accident. You or I could just stand out there and eventually they'll leave us alone to shoot. All you got to do is make one. They'll just tell you, go ahead and shoot it. He didn't score. What the fuck are you doing, man? He's your guy. He's who you thought was going to save you. You got rid of Ben Simmons because he was too afraid to shoot. And now this bonehead won't shoot himself. He's Daryl Morey's guy. Shameful. And then he wants to get paid. Of course, he's opted in next year because nobody's going to pay his ass to do what? Stand out there and comb your beard? You bum. Shoot the ball, man. That's a disgrace. I'm not going to say I told you so. It happens every year. Every year, he's a stiff, he's a mutt, he's an absolute total bum. Again, our guy, the great coach Van Gundy, blasphemy, the worst words that were ever spoken in the history of discussion of the NBA and the analysis and breakdown of players is when Jeff Van Gundy said he's comparable to Jerry West. How? dare you the logo mr clutch an all-time nba super duper star the man whose logo is synonymous with the league Sieg from cabin creek one of the greatest clutch players of all time a tremendous scorer a great defender all nba offense, all NBA and all NBA defense. At the same stage of their careers, James Harden went belly up for the Philadelphia 76ers in the postseason and quit on his third team in three years? Four years? Three years? At the same stage in his career, Jerry West was leading the Lakers along with Will Chamberlain, who's elderly, by age standards to 33 regular season wins in a row, a record 69 wins and the first title for the Los Angeles Lakers since their move from Minneapolis over whom the defending champion, Milwaukee Bucks who were in the West back then and uh, who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and in the finals over the New York Knicks 
who had five Hall of Famers. That's who Jerry West beat to finally win his first championship and bring the first title to Los Angeles at the same age as this stiff, this absolute chump, the mutt of all mutts, James Harden. 50 million a year (laughs) for that dog. You know, the numbers. Look at the numbers. Well, if he's going to dribble the ball for 18 seconds, chances are if they score. You know, he's going to get a he's going to get a bucket or free throws or an assist because there's only five seconds left, six seconds left in the shot clock for that not to happen. And again, the league is now back to being played in a fashion where James Harden doesn't need to go to the foul line 16 times by driving into the lane and falling into somebody. Jerry West James, was winning James. 33 games. This dude's out there having to get rules changed because he plays like such a douchebag. The NBA was like, all right, enough, man. <laughs> Let's play basketball instead of flailing around for four quarters so you can get like, to the free throw line. Flop, flop around like a fish on a boat. You know, dribble the ball for 18 seconds. Take a step back three. Kick my legs out, fall down. Drive to the lane, take six steps, throw my body into somebody, go to the free throw line. Enough already. And uh, what a difference it makes when the game is called within the rules versus just setting the fat southpaw, all right, uh, to the foul line for no apparent reason. Different game, James. Plus, you can't guard anybody. We know that. Of course. But the, the, the point is, how many times does the GM have to see this happening? Daryl Morey just has a love affair with this guy. He has a love affair with the three ball. And Daryl Morey comes up short again. You know, he leaves Houston in a shambles after it didn't work out with James Harden, goes to Philly, and brings on James Harden in again. And now we stuck with him. He's going to pay him a fortune next year, and then what do he do? He's going to pay James Harden $50 million a year for another four years? Jesus. For James Harden, $250 million. Good luck. It's it's ridiculous. And Daryl Morey fell for it again. As I said before, they're the only couple that's been married twice without a ring. And they're never going to get one. An absolute train wreck in Philly. It makes you start to wonder, who's worse off? The Lakers with Russ or Philly with James Harden? And I don't mean in terms of the caliber of the teams, but I mean of with the particular player. You can win with James Harden. You just can't win very much. You know, the playoffs with James Harden, but you're not going to win anything with James Harden. Now, Russ is proving he can go to the playoffs. He's going to go to the playoffs with Lakers. (laughs) And the funny thing is the big picture is Lakers fans had to trust the process of LeBron James, but it actually delivered a championship. He picks who he wants on the team, goes out and wins. The other side of the coin is he picks who he wants on the team and they get rid of everybody that won you the championship. So, you know, take, take the good with the bad process in Philly. Yikes. I I don't know what you do now in Philly. I don't know what you do with them. No. You got Harris's contract, which is a big contract. Thibault, everybody had a big love affair with Thibault and it proved you, you can't have him out there because he, he, he can't put the ball in the ocean. He makes T.J. Tucker look like a sharpshooter. And obviously the big guy got worn down. 
series of injuries. He couldn't dominate the thumb that he played with. Then he gets his face broken. He was clearly not the same player down the stretch at the end of the series you know, as he was in the first series. And then you have the guy on the bench. Doc's coming back. Okay. All right. So he's coming back. Same old, same old. What do I expect to change? How are you going to change? James James Harden suddenly going to have a rebirth? So you find the fountain of youth? He's old now. We talk about Russ getting old. So is James Harden. And James Harden deliberately wants to be in shape. It's the other thing. You watch Russ. Russ is ready to go. Russ is in shape. James Harden deliberately wants to compete. You don't have to worry about Russ only taking two shots in the second half. No. Russ is going to try. He's going to be very good. For ages, Steph is 34. Russ is 33. James Harden, the youngest of the bunch, at 32. And he looks like he's 50. Just the old adage, Al, that you've heard forever, I've heard forever, and for whatever reason, people don't listen to it or pay attention to it. There's regular season dudes, and there's postseason dudes. All you got to do is keep your eyes open around this time of the year, and you'll see exactly who those people are. You think Jimmy Butler's dropping 40 points in November? He's literally not. The only time he scores 40, check it out, folks, is when he's in the playoffs because these games matter now. What the hell does he care about a December game? He's going to go out and kill himself? No. You saw what he looked like in the bubble, leaned over the, the ledge when he was trying to carry his team to the finals. It's a toll, man, even if you're staying at Disney World. The great Mike Meltzer, who we're going to have on this program in the not-too-distant future, hopefully to talk NBA Finals, love this, loves this when I bring it up, and I will continue to, and it will, I will go to my grave saying it. I knew James Harden was a dog from the second I saw him spit the bit in 2010 against the Syracuse 2-3 zone in the NCAA tournament, where he just chucked the whole game for Arizona State, couldn't put the ball in the ocean, and never stopped doing the same thing over and over, and he's been a dog ever since. Threes will decide these series is may the odds be ever in your favor. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. For my partner at the one and only great John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato and Al from White Plains. Have a great sports weekend. Enjoy the NBA and the NHL playoffs, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.